We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 514 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. It is the day of the introductory press conference for the commander's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric the Enemy. Not Eric the Enemy, as Hagerstown Bob wrote in an email recently. No. Eric B. Enemy, introductory presser at the Commander's Team facility in Ashburn, Virginia, Thursday morning at 11. You know, it was on a Thursday about 11 months ago, last March 17th, to be precise, uh, that we had the introductory press conference for (laughs) Commander's quarterback Carson Wentz. And as you may recall, Carson killed it at that press conference. Uh, He gave great answers. He came across as humble and self-aware. He wore the goldish blazer with the burgundy button-down shirt. Carson Wentz, Commander Carson, did a very good job at his commander's intro presser. Heck, we even had commander's head coach Rod Rivera beginning the presser with the happy Thanksgiving joke. Remember that? Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) uh, An awful lot has happened since... uh since Thanksgiving and just wanted to get an opportunity to introduce our, our, our new quarterback, our QB1, uh, as a lot of you like to refer to him. Yeah, there you go. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Carson Wentz, the new QB1. Boy, doesn't that sound funny to listen to 11 months later. The point is this, how Eric Bieniemy does at his introductory press conference on Thursday morning, it doesn't matter in the long run, okay? He could give a great intro presser and then his tenure with the commanders could be a disaster. He could give an underwhelming intro presser and then his tenure with the commanders could be great. But I am very interested to hear what he has to say and what Ron Rivera has to say, assuming that Ron will be speaking and maybe even taking questions. And so Thursday is a big day in commander's land. Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, what was as of Wednesday evening, the number 
47 podcast in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. Hey, thank you to you for that. Well, to prepare you mentally, physically, and spiritually for the Eric Bieniemy introductory press conference, I have coming up next segment for you, part two of my Eric Bieniemy deep dive with Commanders analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, we in part two, we're going to hone in on some overall aspects of what to expect from and think about with EB as Commanders AHC slash OC, uh, including his game planning and play designing acumen. I am going into Eric Bieniemy's tenure with the Commanders with eyes wide open. I do have questions about why he hasn't gotten an NFL head coaching job. I do have questions about whether the Commanders were his only option this offseason. I do wonder if there's something with this guy that has turned teams off. But I also believe that Eric Bieniemy is smart and knows NFL offense. And those things are big parts of why I am excited that the commanders got him. And Mark Bullock is going to drill deep on how exactly the Kansas City Chiefs over Bieniemy's five seasons as the team's offensive coordinator displayed a high-level football IQ in their game planning and play designing. Great stuff from Mark Bullock on Eric Bieniemy. It's coming up next segment, during which I'll also have some updates on the commander's coaching staff. Also on the show, a lot of college basketball talk. You know, the college basketball regular season is winding down. Maryland, Georgetown, and number six, Virginia, all played on Wednesday night. The Terrapins won their school record 12th consecutive home Big Ten game with an 88-70 ripping of lowly Minnesota. Uh, the Hoyas' horrible season continued. Uh, they fell to 2-16 and in the Big East with a 79-70 loss to St. John's at Capital One Arena. And the number six Cavaliers, they suffered maybe their worst loss of the season, a 63-48 loss at Boston College. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Howard Gutman, the former United States ambassador to Belgium, a graduate of Harvard Law School, writes the ambassador regarding this podcast. When I wrote you my last email, the one with the Bobby Bethard story, uh, I noted that I that week had been listening to the pod in Belgium and that, as you proudly note, the pod dropped daily at... Uh, noon Belgium time. Well, thereafter, I came home to D.C. for the weekend to repack and then flew last Monday to Australia, where I continue to listen to the pod, which drops each day by 10 p.m. Australia time. Yes, I am 16 hours ahead. I wanted to write to see whether I am the first confirmed listener from Australia. Probably not. But if so, I am delighted to add a new continent to the Galdi Podcast listenership. Good day, mate. <laughs> uh, thank you for the email, Ambassador. Uh, you know, you actually are not the first confirmed listener from Australia. I actually can look up the top countries for this podcast in terms of downloads. Uh, for this month of February 2023, here are the top countries for this podcast. Number one, the United States of America. Number two, Canada. Number three, the United Kingdom. Number four, Germany. <laughs> yes, Germany. Little known fact, Angela Merkel, former chancellor of Germany, huge Commanders fan. She was furious when Taylor Heineke got benched as their starting quarterback this past season. Number five, the Netherlands. Number six, 
Australia. Number seven, Mexico. Number eight, the Philippines. Number nine, Israel. Number 10, Japan. <laughs> so there you go. The international flavor of the Al Galdi podcast. We are bringing the world together via this pod. And speaking, by the way, of Israel, email from Dave in Israel, uh, writes Dave about the commander's hiring of Eric Bieniemy and more. The investment in Eric Bieniemy can turn out in one of three ways. Number one, Eric does well and becomes Washington's next coach, win. Number two, Eric does well and becomes someone else's head coach. Washington receives a third round comp pick, win. Number three, Eric does not do well and moves on. Nothing lost. We can only hope that Washington will correctly reallocate resources to the offensive line. Consider trading Montez Sweat since he is at maximum value and you can't allocate $90 million of cap space into a defensive line, so someone needs to go. And unless the commanders can secure a quarterback in round one, they should trade back. San Francisco has proven that there is value in the minority higher comp picks, gathering five of them. This year's Chiefs team showed the value of being able to acquire and hit on draft picks in winning the Super Bowl with multiple rookie starters. Excited for the Eric Bieniemy era, let's give him some weapons. Thank you for the email, Dave. Yeah, in case you don't know, NFL teams now get rewarded with draft pick compensation for having minority executives or minority coaches who get hired to primary football executive roles or head coaching roles with other NFL teams. So the resolution was approved in November 2020. Reads the resolution in part, quote, clubs that develop a diverse employee who is hired in the position of primary football executive or head coach at another club will receive a draft choice compensation in the form of a compensatory draft pick in the third round of the next two drafts. If a club has two employees hired for either a head coach or GM position, then that club will receive third round compensatory picks in the next three drafts, end quote. However, there is more to the resolution than what I just read. And the more includes this requirement for draft pick compensation, quote, the minority employee hired as a head coach or primary football executive has been employed by the employer club for a minimum of two full seasons, end quote. So no, the commanders would not get draft pick compensation for Eric Bieniemy becoming another NFL team's head coach after the 2023 season. He would have to be with the commanders as an assistant coach for at least two full seasons before the team could get draft pick compensation for him being hired as an NFL head coach by another team. But yeah, the San Francisco 49ers are like swimming in draft pick compensation via this resolution. Commander's general manager Martin Mayhew New York Jets head coach Robert Sala, Miami Dolphins head coach, and yes, former Redskins receivers coach Mike McDaniel, Tennessee Titans general manager Rand Carthon, and Houston Texans head coach D'Amico Ryans. Five men who, as defined by the NFL, are diverse employees who got hired to positions of primary football executive or head coach with other NFL teams. The Niners have found a new market inefficiency in the NFL. Hire non-whiteies and turn them into draft choices. Well, you, 
can turn advertising on this podcast into more money for you. Grow your business or practice by advertising on the Al Galdi podcast. Podcast advertising is very affordable, much more so than radio and television advertising. Look, in this current economy, podcast advertising is the way to go, and podcast advertising works. Email us. See what we can do for you. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, we on Wednesday had more on the evolving nature of the commander's coaching staff. Multiple reports that the team on Wednesday was meeting with Kansas City Chiefs running backs coach Greg Lewis and Stanford quarterbacks coach Tavita Pritchard. Uh, now, of course, the commanders currently have a running backs coach in Randy Jordan and currently have a quarterbacks coach in Ken Zampezi. So we could be having some more departures from the commander's coaching staff. We on Tuesday had multiple reports that commander's receivers coach Drew Terrell is leading for a job with the Arizona Cardinals and that commander senior offensive assistant Jim Hustler is out. And of course, the commanders already have lost Chris Harris of the Tennessee Titans on February 7th, announced the hiring of commanders defensive backs coach Chris Harris as Titans defensive pass game coordinator and cornerbacks coach. And the commanders still have not announced a replacement for Harris. So a lot of moving parts on the commanders coaching staff right now. Perhaps we'll find out more during the commanders introductory press conference for the team's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. Uh, the presser is taking place on Thursday morning at 11, but it would seem that Bieniemy is playing a big role in reshaping the offensive portion of the commander's coaching staff. As for Bieniemy reshaping the commander's offense, uh, time now for part two of my conversation with commander's analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, he also is a commander's fan, and Mark does excellent film breakdowns of the commanders and commander's pertinent players and coaches. You can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Bullock NFL. You can read Mark's work on his Substack 
Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. And Mark on his Substack has a number of really good pieces regarding Eric Bieniemy's potential impact on the Commanders. Mark, on Wednesday morning, published a piece with the headline, How Will Eric Bieniemy Make Use of Star Receiver Terry McLaurin? Uh, Mark, on Monday morning, published a piece with the headline, How Eric Bieniemy Could Help the Development of Sam Howell. And Mark, last Friday, published a piece with the headline, What the Commander's Offense Will Look Like Under Eric Bieniemy. Uh, Mark joined me on Tuesday's show, episode 512, for part one of our conversation. We, in part one, focused on how Eric Bieniemy can help the development of quarterback Sam Howell. Right now, in this part two, we focus on some more general items with Eric Bieniemy as Commander's Assistant Head Coach slash Offensive coordinator, often having spent the last 10 seasons as an offensive assistant for the Kansas City Chiefs, including the last five seasons as the Chiefs offensive coordinator. So, Mark, let's get right into it. Uh, I, on Wednesday's show, episode 513, had a good conversation with another commander's analyst, former Redskins tight end Logan Paulson. And he said that Eric Bieniemy, having not been the primary offensive play caller for the Chiefs, but now being set to be the commander's primary offensive play caller, is not a concern. That plenty of guys have gone from never having been primary offensive play callers to being primary offensive play callers and done just fine. Is Bieniemy, having not been a primary offensive play caller, a concern to you? Yeah, I mean, it's a concern to an extent, but it's the it, there's the same level of concern with a lot of coaches that have been hired out of that kind of situation, like Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy were hired out of that situation with, with Andy Reid as the primary play caller, um, being able to um, look at like someone like Zach Taylor when he was the quarterbacks coach for the Rams and he got hired as the head coach out of the quarterbacks coach position having never called plays so um, there's plenty of people that have had success um, being able to call plays from learning underneath a, a very good play caller and and the enemy's been the kind of right hand man of Andy Reid for five years and he's, he's been the running back coach for five years before that so he's been under Andy Reid who's about as good an offensive mind as there is in the NFL um, for 10 years. So he's going to have learned a lot. He's going to have helped craft game plans and, and understand when and when to call certain concepts and, and how to study what the defense is going to present and, and how to attack those coverages that the defense is going to offer. So um, I, I'm not overly concerned. Um, it, it's obviously a concern because he's not been the primary play caller, but um, it, it's not something I'm overly concerned with. If Eric Bieniemy called you up and said, hey, Mark, I don't want to get fired like the commander's last offensive coordinator, where did Scott Turner go wrong as Washington offensive coordinator? What would you say? Well, the the biggest downside of, of Scott Turner's um, <laughs> regime here was uh, that they didn't have a quarterback. <laughs> um, and that that really hurts the, the ability to be a productive offense. But um, in terms of like play calling itself, um, I think the thing that Turner struggled with at times was um, what's known as sequential play calling, which is calling certain plays to set up other things. So um, like the, the natural way of describing it is, um, for me, is going back to when Carl Shanahan was here and he'd, he'd run an outside zone run on one play and then the next play he'd show the exact same formation and same look and then he'd run a bootleg play action off of it and then the next play they, they'd show the same look again it'd be another play action but it wouldn't be bootleg it would just be a drop back pass and they'd hit something over the middle and he, he, he would layer his concepts so that 
everything would look the same and then it would turn out to be a different play two or three times over. So um, that kind of stuff was, was not what Scott Turner did very well. Um, it kind of felt like he was running two separate offenses with a, with a run game and a pass game. Um, and the enemy would, would do well to kind of learn from that mistake and, and, and marry those two sides of the offense up. I'm very interested to hear what is said at Eric Bieniemy's introductory press conference on Thursday morning regarding offensive philosophy. Uh, the last Commanders press conference was head coach Rod Rivera's and general manager Martin Mayhew's joint season-ending press conference all the way back on January 10th. Uh, funny enough, the day on which Scott Turner got fired, and it was at that presser that Ron and Martin very much championed a running game-oriented offense, including uh, the now infamous comment from Martin saying that a 2-to-1 run-to-pass ratio was ideal. Now, I think that that comment has gotten blown out of proportion, but Ron and Martin at that presser did very much push a running game-oriented offense. How do you see that desire meshing with what Eric Bieniemy might want to do? Yeah, it's... Um I think the the obviously the two to one run ratio run to pass ratio comment was kind of a little bit overblown. I, I think that was more intended for the one game rather than an entire philosophy. Um, but I, I think obviously Rivera wants to run the ball, and and that's what most kind of defensive minded head coaches that are more in the older range of head coaches than the younger guys that that's kind of their their philosophy about things that they want to be able to run the ball and and control the clock and 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 that kind of thing so um there is merit to it like you can be a run first team and and Rivera was right to point out like the 49ers were a run first team and uh the Ravens had success being a run first team the Rams when they won the Super Bowl they were a run first team but they were running to set up things. And, and uh, the, I pointed out with Carl Shanahan, he, he would run the ball to set up a play-action look, and then he would run the ball to set up a deep shot. Um, and so it, it's running with a purpose to set up something else rather than just, we just want to run the ball up the middle 40 times. Um, like that, that That's the difference, is being able to run with a purpose to set up something to pass the ball. So... Um, I think there is merit to being a run-first team, but it's got to be with a purpose to be able to uh, develop the offense into being a passing attack as well. So um, in terms of how that meshes with with Biennemi, um obviously he was a running back and, and a running back's coach, so he's going to enjoy running the ball. Um, but he's been under Andy Reid for 10 years, and, and Andy Reid famously has been a guy that wants to pass the ball and, and pass the ball a lot. Um, and, you know, that West Coast system... It's built around, you know, a short passing game that is seen as an extension of the run game. Um, so, I, I think, I, I think we'll see more passing game than, than what Rivera probably set out with the intent to do. Um, and I think when the guys that Rivera interviewed and before the enemy were, were a lot more run game orientated guys, but I think with the opportunity to, to get the enemy kind of presented itself, then you have to kind of accept, okay, he's going to pass the ball more, but we do have the weapons to pass the ball and um, and he's going to provide the structure to, to allow that to happen. So um, we got to kind of let him run his show. 
We're talking Eric Bieniemy with Commanders analyst Mark Bullock. Uh, you and your piece on the kind of offense that Eric Bieniemy could run with the Commanders. Headline, what the Commanders offense will look like under Eric Bieniemy. Wrote the following, quote, something that stands out immediately about the Chiefs offense isn't necessarily that they call anything overly special that nobody else in the league calls. It's more that they are so detailed in their play designs and know exactly went to call them in order to give their players the best possible chances to succeed, end quote. I thought that that was really interesting. Uh, I wonder if you could expound on that. Yeah, so the the Chiefs offense, like, it is just kind of a West Coast offense. And there is, like, obviously the trick plays and, and the, the fancy Andy Reid stuff that, that does go on. But a lot of the offense is all about understanding with the advanced scouting, what the defense is going to do in certain situations. And um, all defenses will have tendencies, but the, the Chiefs have done it better than anyone else in scouting what those tendencies are. And not just what the tendency are, like in a second and six situation, a team might play quarters coverage 95% of the time, for example. Um, but it's not just understanding, okay, they're playing quarter co- quarters coverage. It's what are their rules within quarters coverage? Does this safety have to carry a certain receiver at a certain point or does the safety pass him off to someone else at a certain point and once you understand what the rules are it becomes really easy to exploit what those rules are and you put certain stresses on a particular defender if that safety is having to pass someone off or he has to carry someone then you can know okay well he's got to carry this guy so that's going to create a hole here Um, and once you know what those rules are and how to attack them then you can call a play in, in that situation that you know is fairly likely to work. Um, and that's what the Chiefs do better than anyone else is we know that they're going to run this coverage. We know what their rules are in this coverage and we're going to attack it. And we're 95% of the time, we're going to be able to hit a completion to our first read because we've schemed that up. Um, so the, the primary example would be like in the Super Bowl, everyone's talked about that. What, is, what did he call it? The, the corn dog play where yeah. Darius Tony scored his touchdown where he went in motion and came back and you saw it earlier in the game in the, I think it was in the second quarter, they were in the red zone and uh, the Chiefs ran just a, a, a jet sweep motion down near the goal line. And they were, they ran a completely different play, but they were also checking what they were confirming what their scouting told them, which was when, when they're in that situation and they run a jet sweep, the Eagles defense like to pass the player off rather than have someone follow him across the field. And by doing that, they they were able to confirm that that's what the Eagles wanted to do. And so later on in the game, they were able to come back to that. And they knew that once they kind of started that jet sweep motion, the Eagles defenders would start to pass that off. And then once the, Tony pivots back outside, he was going to be wide open in the flat. And, and it gave Patrick Holmes a, the easiest touchdown throw he'll have. So um, that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about when I say they understand the structure of the defense, the coverage rules of the defense and how to exploit it. Um, and, and that is what makes the offense so special. And that's the kind of, if the enemy can transfer that structure and provide that structure in Washington, then he's setting them up for success. Yeah, and as you know, we have the pushbacks against Eric Bieniemy, and those pushbacks include, well, he had Patrick Mahomes for each of Bieniemy's five seasons as Chiefs offensive coordinator, and yes, he did. And well, he had a great offensive head coach in Andy Reid for all five of those seasons, and yes, that is true, but I've been told a bunch that Bieniemy played major roles in game planning 
and play designing for the Chiefs. And it sounds like from what you just said that there has been a real intellect to what the Chiefs have been doing schematically, and Eric Bieniemy deserves credit for that. He may not have been the Chiefs' primary offensive play caller, but he was part of masterminding a very smart offense. Absolutely. Um, and and it, they, very rarely did they just call a play to call a play. It was calling a play with the purpose of, like, we know in this situation this team likes to run this coverage with, or maybe they like to use this blitz, and we know where the weak point is in that defense and we, and we know how to stress the coverage rules and, and create an opening. And yes, they had Patrick Mahomes. Yes, they had Travis Kelsey. And those guys give you the ability that if a play breaks down, they can freelance and, and Patrick Mahomes can create off script and, and throw a ball up and Travis Kelsey can go get it. And that, that you just can't replicate because that is an elite talent. But you can replicate the structure of we're going to scout the team so thoroughly. We're going to know their tendencies and we're going to kind of game plan plays that we think can be effective against those tendencies. And if he can provide that structure, it's not going to turn Sam Howell into Patrick Mahomes overnight, but it's going to provide him with some easy sort of quick first read throws that should in theory be able to be wide open for him. Um, And that's going to make the offense far more productive than it has been the last few years. Your latest piece on your Substack is about how Eric Bieniemy will make use of Terry McLaurin. Uh, Terry may well be the answer to this next question, but who among Commander's skill position players do you see benefiting the most from Eric Bieniemy? Yeah, I would say well, obviously those three receivers are, are all very good, um, and and they're gonna they're gonna help any offensive coordinator because of their talent. But uh, I, I think Bieniemy is gonna understand how to kind of not necessarily force feed McLaurin the ball, but make sure that they don't go like they did last year where they'd have an entire half where McLaurin got one or two targets. Like I think the enemy's going to understand that they can get him the ball a lot more often than that. Um, and the enemy's going to know that we can use Curtis Samuel in the kind of creative ways that Scott Turner tried to um, and, and you know put him in the backfield, line him up in the slot using his uh, kind of explosive open field ability. Um so I, I think those two kind of stand out as guys that will benefit. Um, obviously, Sam Howell, because the system is, is if he can handle the, the pre-snap process that the, the enemy's offense puts a lot on the plate of the quarterback, um, pre-snap kind of giving you so much information with a, a formation and emotion and, and, and all that kind of stuff, the different personnel groups they can use. As long as he can process that information pre-snap, it should make the post-snap process quite simple of, okay, I understand that with that motion, that means I'm getting most likely man coverage or zone coverage, and that's where I need to go here with the ball. And more often than not, that first or second read is going to be open for him. So um, obviously, Sam Howell should, in theory, benefit as well. Last one for you. We know that the commanders need to rebuild their offensive line. Uh, with Eric Bieniemy now as the team's assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, is there a particular type or a particular style of offensive lineman who the commanders should be targeting, or not really? No, not necessarily. He's not. Um, he, he's not in the kind of Kyle Shanahan mold where they love the athletic zone blocking lineman, and he's not in the kind of the opposite end of that spectrum, like the Greg Romans, where it's uh, we're going to run power and, and and counter, and we're going to run it down your throat, and you need the big bigger maulers up front. He's kind of in between, um, and, and he can kind of go either way. 
Um, the, the Chiefs' run game was quite diverse. Um, they, they liked to use zone schemes, but they also liked to use gap schemes. It was all dependent on what the defense, the kind of the front they were facing and, and, and what was best to attack that front. So um, linemen that you know are versatile, they're, they're athletic enough to be able to run zone stuff, but they don't have to be you know, they're kind of almost like Wes Schweitzer where they're a little bit undersized to add that athleticism. They don't have to be that. Um, so uh, I think they, they kind of look for a decent all-round lineman, really. Great stuff from Commander's Analyst Mark Bullock. Read his work on his Substack, Bullock's Film Room, which you can find at markbullock.substack.com. Mark, thanks a lot. Yeah, no worries. Um, uh, always, uh, always good time. All right. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Mark Bullock. Uh, If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You want Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you want Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review does not have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. uh, But the ratings and the reviews do help us out a lot. So thank you for doing them. All right, let us talk college basketball. A busy night on Wednesday night with Maryland, Georgetown, and number six, Virginia, all playing. The Hoyas and the Cavaliers lost, but the Terrapins won. Uh, Maryland improved to 19-9 and overall and 10-7 and in the Big Ten with an 88-70 win over Minnesota at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland on Wednesday night. The Terps' home dominance continued. Maryland has been a really good home team this season. In fact, the Terps on Wednesday night won their school record 12th consecutive home Big Ten game, uh, improved to 9-0 and at home in Big Ten games this season, and improved to 15-1 and in home games this season. Uh, the game actually was tied at 20 in the first half. The Terps then went on a 25-4 run for a 21-point lead late in the first half and led by at least 14 points for the entire second half. So this did end up being the blowout win that this should have been for the Terps. This did end up being the smash job uh, that this should have been for the Terps. Minnesota is terrible. Minnesota now is 1-15 and in the Big Ten. Uh, the Terps actually allowed Minnesota to go 7-10 on threes, but held Minnesota to just 19-44 of on twos. And the Terps shot exceptionally well from the field. Uh, They went 7 of 13 on threes and 25 of 34 on twos. Now, the Terps did struggle on free throws, uh, went just 17 of 26 on free throws. But geez, 7 of 13 on threes, 25 of 34 on twos, 32 of 47 from the field, 68.1% from the field. That's outstanding. And that was off the Terps in their previous game, the 70-66 overtime loss at Nebraska this past Sunday evening, being really bad with their shooting. The Terps in that game, just 7 of 22 on threes, just 16 of 47 on twos, and just 13 of 19 on free throws. A big game for Julian Reese on Wednesday night. The development of Juju continues. Uh, Reese in just 28 minutes as a starter, 21 points, 12 rebounds, including three offensive boards and two blocks. He went nine of 11 from the field, all twos. He did go just three of eight on free throws, and he did have no assists versus three turnovers. But you got to be encouraged by what we're seeing from Julian Reese lately. Uh, Hakeem Hart on Wednesday night, 32 minutes as a starter, two of three on threes, four of five on twos. Did go just six and nine on free throws, but he finished with 20 points, six assists versus two turnovers. 
four steals and four rebounds. And Dante Scott on Wednesday night, 32 minutes as a starter, one of one on threes, six of eight on twos, and three of three on free throws. He finished with 18 points and five rebounds. He did have no assists versus two turnovers, but good to see Dante Scott shoot well. Uh, he and that overtime loss at Nebraska this past Sunday evening, just one of eight on threes and just one of eight on twos. Here was Terps head coach Kevin Willard during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on Dante Scott. Dante's been the most consistent guy for us on the defensive end all year. He's he's our he's our anchor. He I'm able to do so many things with him defensively. Um, you know, I I just told him yesterday. I said, Dante, you just you just gotta relax. He took he missed six layups against Nebraska. They're all good shots. Sometimes as a player, you just have a bad night. I told him. I said, he still was a. His defensive rating against Nebraska was off the charts. And I said, you know, we would never have been in the game. You can't go two for 16 with one of your best players and still go to overtime on the road if your best player doesn't play defense. And I just said, man, you got to chill out and relax. And I thought he was much more relaxed on the offensive end. Yeah, the Terps are the number 17 team in the nation per the latest data on KenPalm.com. And next up for Maryland is a big one, home to number 21 Northwestern, Sunday at noon. Georgetown on Wednesday night did rally, uh, but Georgetown on Wednesday night did lose again. Uh, the Hoyas fell to 7-22 and overall and 2-16 and in the Big East with a 79-70 loss to St. John's at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. Uh, the Hoyas actually never held the lead in the game. They allowed St. John's to begin the game on a 24-10 run, trailed by as many as 15 points in the first half, battled back to tie the game multiple times in the second half, but ultimately lost by nine points. The Hoyas got destroyed in the paint. They held St. John's to just two of 14 on threes. You like that? And the Johnnies were terrible on free throws, went just 13 to 20, but the Hoyas allowed St. John's to go 30 of 50 on twos and got outscored in the paint 54-30. The Hoyas went 9-22 on threes, but just 17-39 on twos and just 9-13 on free throws. And turnovers were a bit of a problem for the Hoyas. Uh, They committed 20 turnovers. Now, St. John's committed 16 turnovers, but the Hoyas got outscored in terms of points off turnovers 26-12. Another bad shooting game for Primo Spears. He, in 37 minutes as a starter, went just one of four on threes and just three of 10 on twos, and he committed five turnovers. Uh, he did go two of two on free throws. He finished with 11 points and three assists, but Primo Spears now this season is shooting just 26.7% on threes. Uh, Brandon Murray did break out of his shooting slump. He had 38 minutes as a starter, went three of six on threes, seven of 11 on twos, and two of three on free throws. He finished with 25 points, five rebounds, three steals, and two assists, but he also had seven turnovers. And Jay Heath, he in 37 minutes as a starter, four of six on threes, two of four on twos. He finished with 16 points, seven assists, three rebounds, and two steals, but he also had four turnovers. So Primo Spears, Brandon Murray, and Jay Heath, Three key players for the Hoyas. Uh, Those three players combined for 16 turnovers. Next up for Georgetown, home to number 20 Providence, Sunday afternoon at 1230. And then we have Wahoo Number six, Virginia fell to 21-5 overall and 13-4 in the ACC with a 63-48 loss at Boston College 
on Wednesday night. Yeah, the Cavaliers lost by 15 points at a Boston College team that came into the game just 7-10 and 10 in the ACC. Uh, this was just the Cavs' second loss over the team's last 13 games. Now, on the one hand, yes, uh, this loss for the Cavs was rather surprising. But on the other hand, this loss for the Cavs wasn't that surprising. The Cavs, in each of their previous two games, had struggled to beat bad teams. So the previous Wednesday night, a 61-58 win at Louisville, which fell to 1-14 and in the ACC. And then this past Saturday afternoon, a 57-55 win over Notre Dame at John Paul Jones Arena. The Cavs had to sweat Notre Dame missing an attempt at a game-winning three as time expired. Uh, also, the Cavs in that game blew a nine-point first-half lead, and all of this happened against a Notre Dame team that, with that loss, fell to just 2-14 and 14 in the ACC. So the Cavs overall, yes, a good team, but the Cavs lately have not been playing well. And so what happened on Wednesday night really wasn't a shocker. Uh, the Wahoos shooting in this loss at Boston College on Wednesday night was horrendous. The Hoos went just 4 of 21 on threes, just 15 to 38 on twos, and just 6 and 9 on free throws. The Hoos three starting guards, Kihei Clark, Reese Beekman, and Armand Franklin, uh, they went a combined 1 of 10 on threes and 6 of 19 on twos. And how about this with UVA? It now is the number 34 team in the country for KenPalm.com. UVA is the number six team in the country for the latest Associated Press Top 25 poll, but UVA is just the number 34 team in the country for KenPalm.com. Next up for Virginia at North Carolina, Saturday evening at 6. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday's show, episode 515. We'll provide you with more on the commander's in-depth reaction to and discussion of the introductory press conference of the team's new assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy. the EB intro presser scheduled for Thursday morning at 11. Also on Friday's show, I'll talk Capitals. The Caps are home to the NHL worst Anaheim Ducks Thursday night at 7. The Caps are, shall we say, in need of a win. Uh, they have lost a season worst five consecutive games, with each loss being a regulation loss. In fact, this is the first time that the Caps have lost five consecutive regular season games, with each loss being a regulation loss since January 2014. Uh, the good news is that winger Alex Ovechkin was back with the Caps on Wednesday. He practiced. He could play on Thursday night. Uh, he has missed the Caps' last four games due to the death of his father, Mikhail Ovechkin. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> an awful lot has happened since, uh, since Thanksgiving, and just wanted to get an opportunity to introduce our our. our new quarterback, our QB1, uh, as a lot of you like to refer to him.